so there's a moment in the previous chapter, Acts chapter four, that kind of sets up where we're gonna be uh, this morning. So I just kind of wanna set up where we're gonna be. So Peter and John, they're two of Jesus' disciples. Um, they had actually just gotten done healing a man who had not been able to walk for 40 years. And uh, they heal this man, and, and the, the early Christian church is really kind of beginning to catch fire here. And what this is doing is this is really upsetting uh, some of uh, the, the law, some of the religious leaders of the time, and they're starting to get a little bit frustrated by what's going on. And so they arrest Peter and John. They arrest Peter and John, and they throw them in jail. And they bring them before the courts the next day. Peter and John, they're in jail. They're before the Sanhedrin the next day, which is just the religious courts of that time. And they basically say, hey, you're going to need to stop what you're doing. You're going to need to stop teaching and preaching in, in the name of Jesus. Stop performing miracles in the name of Jesus. But here's the thing. They, they couldn't actually bring any charges against them. And so they simply say, hey, you're just going to need to stop because people all over the city are worshiping and praising God. So they knew they couldn't really do a whole lot to bring charges against them. And what I want us to see is Peter and John's reaction. Like, what is the reaction to this demand? Hey, stop teaching, stop preaching in, in the name of Jesus. So Acts 4, verses 29, this is, what, this is what they say. This is their prayer. This is the reaction to this demand. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand of healing. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is what they do in the midst of persecution. God, will you enable us to speak your word boldly? Father, will you extend, extend your hand of healing amongst us? And I, can, I was just imagining these conversations they were having after this moment, after this persecution they were facing. I can kind of continue to hear their conversations and prayers, saying, Father, you know, they're asking us to be quiet. Uh, they're asking us to subdue our message. They're asking us to, to belittle the name of Jesus, to, to stop giving glory and credit to Jesus. So God, will you give us a great boldness to continue proclaiming your name, to pro continue proclaiming the goodness of your name? Will you give us the courage to profess the good name of Jesus, not shrink back? Will you extend your hand, your hand from heaven to do what only you can do? This is what they ask to heal people, to save people, to redeem people, to set people free. And a few days later, we, we don't know exactly the timeline on things, but a few days later, this is what happens after their prayer. Acts 5, starting in verse 12, 12 through 16. This is where we'll be today. It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits and all of them were healed. So I really wanna go verse by verse and kinda of help us see what, what's going on here. And then I want us to just make a few observations about what we see from, from these disciples. So verse 12, what's it say? It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. 
And Luke, who is the author of Acts, he wrote Luke and he also wrote Acts, tends to be very specific with numbers. Like that's just kind of the, the person that he is typically when you look back in the scriptures. Uh, but in this portion of the text, he kind of uses some broad language here because of the extent to which the miracles are happening and occurring. It's, it's too many to number. Uh, the miraculous hand of God, it's coming down in more ways than he has room to communicate or write down. And we don't know exactly uh, what all of this looked like in these moments. Luke, Luke doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us all the details uh, of these signs and wonders. But what we do know is that the marvelous, the miraculous, the, the, the supernatural is, is touching down in the city of Jerusalem. I just kind of wanted to ask the question as we get started. Have have you ever experienced this? Have you ever heard of this? Uh, have you ever been a witness to something like this happening before? A, a supernatural occurrence, something that's not of this world. And I know we find ourselves in so many different places this morning when we read a text like this. So many of us come from different backgrounds and we come into this with so many different viewpoints I thought about uh, the team that was in India uh, last summer, and this team in India were visiting uh, Ethos Church in India, and they ran into this boy who um, had not ever been able to walk. His, his, his legs were actually crippled. And so I can remember seeing this picture of this boy walking because of the prayers that had been prayed. This picture of, uh, it was Nicole and Jana on either side of him as this boy walked for the very first time. It's this idea of the miraculous <laughs> touching down in ways beyond our understanding. So let's keep reading, let's keep going. Verses 12 and 13. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. So imagine this with me for a moment. The Christians who were living in Jerusalem, they had not yet scattered, they had not yet begun to fill the earth. And so they would gather in this place called Solomon's Colonnade. Uh, we're not exactly sure where this was um, or what they did there, but we believe it to be a portion of the temple. Uh, some place at least maybe close to the temple where people would go for religious discussions. And so we know that in Acts 3, at least some of the things that would happen here would be preaching and sharing uh, of, of the gospel of Jesus. And so we at least know that, hey, this is, this is a place that people would come to hear about Jesus, where people would come to, to have their questions answered, um, to have their ears open. And so that's, that's this place that we imagine. In, in some ways, I kind of imagine it being like what's, what's happening here today, people gathering uh, around Jesus, asking questions. In verse 13, it's honestly kind of fascinating. Uh, I don't really fully understand it. A lot of commentators don't really understand it at all. If the Christians were so highly regarded, why didn't those who were not followers of Jesus join them? I'm not sure. <laughs> we aren't really sure. Um, it doesn't exactly tell us. Uh, and I kind of wondered, like as I was reading that this week, I wonder like how many of you, how many of us kind of find ourselves in this place this morning, like not really sure about things. And I just wanted to just take a moment and say, if you find yourself in this place, I am so glad that you're here this morning. This is a safe place for you to be. And this verse kind of caused me to ask this question. 
do people who don't follow Jesus, do they highly regard us? Do people who, who don't yet follow Jesus, do they highly regard us? What, what is it about their love? I see them asking, what, what is it about the love? What is it about the lifestyle? What is it about their assurance of their faith? The realness of their faith that made non-Christians kind of go, hey, these people are different. Like these people are set apart. These people are good. These people, they're special. Verse 14, it says, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So Luke, he kind of fills us in on the other side of the equation of things that are happening here. Some seem fearful of joining the movement, while other men and women, uh, in numbers too many to count, once again, numbers too many to count are putting their faith and are putting their hope in Jesus. They are believing that Jesus is Lord. They are believing things they had not previously believed. They're believing that Jesus, hey, is, he is the son of God. He died on a cross for me. He resurrected. He rose three days later. And they are coming alive as they discover, as they realize the life and the realness available in Jesus. Verse, verse 15, it says, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets. It says they laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them, as some of them, as he passed by. So many amazing things here. Some I don't really, we're not even going to get to the shadow thing. I, I, I don't really fully understand, um, fully understand that. But f- the faith of this city is beginning to bubble up. Like I could just feel it as I was reading this this week. Faith is beginning to just bubble up as Jesus is coming alive in the hearts of these people. The streets are literally being filled with people. Being, the sidewalks are filled with people in need of Jesus, in need of his healing touch, in need of his delivering touch from all the pain that they're experiencing. And they're just hoping, they are just hoping, hey, I hope someone walks by who knows Jesus, who believes in Jesus, who has the authority of Jesus, because I know that Jesus heals. This is this not an amazing picture that we have here. This was possible. People knew it. They had seen it. They believed it. And they had heard about it. And so the streets are beginning to fill and fill. Verse 16, it continues. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them were healed. I mean, the magnetic nature of the gospel on display here. The surrounding towns are catching wind of of this Jesus. The amazing life and healing that comes in his name. And I was reminded too, just because as it talks here about the spiritual word, I was just reminded something we've talked about before as a church, the fact that this battle is not just with flesh and blood. This battle is not with flesh and blood, it's of the spiritual world. It's what Paul says in Ephesians. I was just reminded the importance as, as followers of Jesus, for us each and every day that we um, encounter this world to have on the armor of God, uh, to put on the armor of God, and how when we come into battle each day, uh, we cannot be unprepared. 
We cannot be people that rely on our own wisdom and on our own power. We've got to be people that rely on his power and his wisdom and his ability. So I, I just love that we're getting to learn from these early disciples. Um, as we're in this everyday discipleship series, we get to kind of look at, at the early disciples of Jesus. What are they doing? Here's the amazing thing. Here's the cool thing is they're, they're not making stuff up. All they're doing is they're simply doing the things that Jesus did. They're following Jesus in every aspect of his and their lives. In fact, I, I want us to remember a few things that Jesus said, a few things that Jesus said to them and a few things that Jesus says to us. So John 20, John 20, Jesus says, he says, as the father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Luke, Luke 9, he says, when Jesus, he's sending out the 12 disciples, he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. He sent them to speak. He sent them also to show. In Luke 10, when he sends out 70 more disciples, says, whenever you enter a town, heal the sick and say the kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick and say the kingdom of God is near. In John 14, Jesus says, he says, truly I say to you, and I want us to hear this this morning, he says, truly I say to you, truly he says to us, he who believes in me will also do the works that I do. He who believes in me will also do the works, the things that I do. And so I don't have all the answers. I'm not sure the moments uh, of why God heals and moments when he doesn't. Uh, but I know that Jesus is alive and Jesus is real. And Jesus, he heals today. And so I want us to observe a few things. Uh, what, what are we going to draw from these disciples? What, what, what are we going to draw uh, from them and, and apply to our own lives? So I want us to see that they asked, one, two, that they anticipated, and three, that God was their goal. One, they asked, two, that they anticipated, and three, that God was their goal. So in the midst of a culture that wanted to suppress the name of Jesus, what did this group of Christians do in response? What, what was their response? They didn't act out of their own wisdom. They didn't speak out of turn. They took it a moment to turn towards the one who had infinite wisdom, who had infinite power, who had infinite resources. And they didn't cower in the other direction. They hit it straight on. They said, they asked, hey, will, will you enable us, God? Will you enable us to speak uh, your name boldly, to speak your word boldly? God, will you enable us by your power? Will you extend your hand of healing? Will you enable us to perform signs and wonders amongst the people to bring faith that they don't have? It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. What did they do? What did they do? They asked. They asked. They were in a relationship with God, a loving relationship with God, and they had the confidence to go before him. Because of Jesus' great love for them and because of Jesus' great love for us, we have access, we have this ability to go before the Father, 
with confidence and ask him, hey, God, will you move? Will you work in ways that are beyond our ability, beyond our understanding? And the second thing is that they anticipated, they anticipated. And as, as I studied this passage over and over again this week, it was this just sense of anticipation that I could feel just building amongst the believers. They believed that they had an unwavering faith that God was going to move. And it wasn't based upon whether he did or didn't. It was based upon their love for God. This wasn't a bratty expectation. Um, This word expectation uh, can kind of mean, okay, I expect you to do something. No, it was a deep anticipation out of a deep place of relationship with the Father that they anticipated him working and moving. And the third thing I want us to observe is that God is the goal. God is and was the goal. Our faith, it remains steady when God is the goal and not, not the sign or the wonder or the miraculous. First and foremost, God, he wants our hearts. He wants all of our hearts. His ultimate goal is to be in relationship with each and every one of us. And sometimes the miraculous can play a part. And so they asked, they anticipated, and God was always their goal. I was reminded this week, um, I was talking with Mary and Russ, um, and I was just kind of reminded this week that the, the power of testimony, I was reminded this week about how sometimes Seeing it allows us to believe it. Hearing it allows us uh, to believe it. And sometimes we, uh, we, we tend to do this with things that are bad. You know, it's like we see something bad happening to someone and we think, oh, man, that can happen to me, you know. But also it, it can happen with the good. We see someone who, who's healed and we say, oh, that can, be, that can be me as well. So I reached out to um, a, a, a friend who's just experienced the healing hand of God. And I said, would you care if I shared your testimony of healing? Um, I think that's gonna speak volumes more than anything I will be able to share. So I just wanna share, this is is not my words, this is their words, just a testimony of God's healing hand in their life. First it said, anxiety and depression running my family on both sides. The spirit of fear has been a generational curse for at least the last four generations. Issues with the pancreas and adrenal gland are also in the family and contributes to the problem. Uh, My mother suffered from blood sugar issues and also dealt with debilitating depression and anxiety until she was delivered from it by God's healing through prayer when I was less than a year old. As a child, I often had episodes of anxiety where I would hide away from noise or activity, squeezing under my bed or my closet. By the time I was 14, my blood sugar became unpredictable and started to feed my anxiety issues. I was also increasingly overshadowed by a spirit of self-loathing and self-destruction, which contributed to eating disorders. By the time I was 24, I had spiraled into a suicidal depression was diagnosed with chronic depressive episodes and generalized anxiety disorder. And was briefly medicated with antidepressants in order to transition out of my work from the Peace Corps back into the USA. 
after I admitted my suicidal ideation and asked for help. The only reason I did not take my own life on April 2nd, 2009 was because as I sat in prayer planning every step of how I might take my own life, God told me, you gave me your life years ago. You are not your own. You do not decide when and how you will die. When I was 26, my body shut down in a series of hypoglycemic episodes due to prolonged malnutrition. I started having heart issues because of adrenaline spikes and blood sugar drops. This triggered a four-year war with daily panic attacks, anxiety, depression, and uncontrolled weight changes. In 2012, my mother spoke a word of healing over me as I prayed with my parents. I confessed that I could not see myself as God sees me, and that I did not just want to survive, I wanted to thrive in this life with Christ. The next day, it was as if I had gone from seeing the world in black and white to seeing in technicolor. I no longer hated myself or saw myself as useless. I could breathe, but anxiety still gripped my throat every time I awoke in the morning. And the panic attacks hit with even the slightest shift in my body chemistry or life situation. As I followed God's promptings in making changes in my, in the summer of 2005, I was led by others in the Ethos family to dig deeper into what God was doing in the Andrew Jackson neighborhood behind Marathon. We had been involved in ministry together for almost three years, but I was being led to commit every aspect of my life. As I followed God's prompting in making changes to my living and work situations, I was plagued with almost constant panic attacks. When I woke in the morning, when I was driving in my car, as I sat in church, when I spent time with friends or when I visited family, it was constant. Mentally, emotionally, and physically, I was worn thin and almost to the breaking point. I decided to try medication again. As it had worked in my brief experience years ago and it had worked for some people in my family. But just two days on anti-anxiety medication, it landed me in the ER and my body completely rejected it. The following Sunday evening, as I stood worshiping during prayer gathering, I felt God say, if you ask, you will be healed. If you ask, you will be healed. Immediately, I went to talk with the leaders who were present. I asked my brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for healing, to stand with me and trusting that God was literally the only option that I had to make it through the day. As people took turns praying, they asked for healing in my heart and a release from those attitudes and fears that bound me. They asked that God would change my brain and my body chemistry, and they declared that I belonged to God and was set apart for his purposes only, and that he could heal me and would be faithful in his promises. So I went home and I went to bed and I slept soundly. The next morning, I awoke with my usual panic attack. But there was also this kind of strange taste in my mouth, almost like getting a dental feeling or an IV drop from medication, and I, I just asked God, what should I do? And I felt him say, rise, rise up and walk. So I went to work, praying through my commute most of the day. I had a slight headache by the time I returned home and went to bed. The next morning I awoke with apprehension, but was not drowning in panic like I normally did when my alarm went off. I asked God, God, what should I do? And he said, rise up and walk. So I went to work 
And I prayed and I went back home and I went to sleep. And on the third morning, I awoke with a slight sense of concern about my day, but was not upset by it. My heart rate was normal and my mind was clear. I said, Lord, what should I do? Felt him say, child, rise up and walk, be healed. And so I got up and I went on with my day. Since that third morning, I have not had a single panic attack. I have not jolted awake night or day with anxiety gripping my chest. I have not had a blood sugar episode. I have not been overcome by any form of anxiety, depression, self-destructive thought. My body, my mind, and my spirit have been completely changed. Anytime even the slightest form of anxiety flares or my blood sugar wavers, I stand in prayer on the promise that I am healed in Jesus' name and it, it subsides. I am healed, I have been healed, I am healed daily, and I will continue to be healed by the hand of God. Father, I just thank you for this, um, this testimony. I thank you for this story. God, I thank you for uh, giving us uh, a glimpse of what's possible uh, with you. God, I, I just ask that uh, will your uh, spirit of, of healing Will your hand of healing fall upon this place this, this morning and in this place? God, those of us that are fearful, God, will you uh, give us courage and faith? God, those of us that are full of doubt, will you fill us with your faith, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit? God, I know we find ourselves in so many different places. And God, I'm just thankful that you know each and every person in this room. You know each of us by name. You know the exact questions that we have in our hearts right now. You know the exact fears and you know the exact joys. And you know all of our stories. Thank you, God. Father, I would just ask by your goodness and by your grace, uh, without all the answers, you would extend your hand of healing among us. Father, those uh, that, that need your touch spiritually, physically, emotionally. God, will your hand of healing come down in this place this morning? And will you give us the courage to ask? Will you give us the courage to anticipate? Will you give us the courage that no matter what happens, God, Father, you are good and you are the goal. Jesus, it is in your name we gather. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.